Thank you, Kathy. That was great. What passage of Scripture was that from? John 3.16. Basically saying John 3.16. What a powerful, powerful message. We are going to be, our text this morning is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you need a copy of the notes, a few people around the auditorium that have a few copies, I met several of you that kept your copy from last week. What a great student you are. That just, that just warms a teacher's heart. What we should do is take a quiz right away at the start of the, uh, the message here on last week's attributes of a godly father. I'm passionate about fathers, encouraging fathers to study God's word and see what it says about leadership, how we should lead our families. In Second Chronicles, the story of Jehoshaphat is just an awesome reminder of godly attributes of a leader. Quick review from last week. If you're in Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, in verse 1, we learn that Jehoshaphat was human. He was human in that he was afraid. Verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So he was human. It was okay for him to admit that he was afraid. And I don't know if you've ever modeled that for your kids. And Maybe our kids don't think that dad is ever afraid. Well, the reality is um, sometimes we are. Sometimes we are faced with impossible situations and how we respond to those situations reveal more character than how we respond on the mountaintops. So number one, he was, he was human, though even, even though he was afraid, he responded with setting himself or setting his face to seek the Lord. And how did he respond? Well, by prayer, by fasting, by, by doing that publicly. Everyone in Judah saw what he did. And what a great, what a great leader. Number two, he was humble. He was humble. Verses 5-12, he prayed publicly, thanking the Lord for his omnipotence, his omniscience. He recalled times of past deliverance uh, for the nation of Judah. And then in verse 12, the, the most humble thing he could do is he admitted that he was powerless. Verse 12, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company. This great horde that was coming against them wanted to destroy them. They were surrounded. And do you want your leader at that point, do you want your leader saying, we have no power, we have no might against this horde? I don't know, dads, if you've ever admitted that to your family in a, in a crisis situation. I don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that's, what, that's how Jehoshaphat responded to this impossible situation. I will admit that I don't know what we're going to do, but the first thing we're going to do is seek his face. And we are expecting an answer from God. And, you, and, and this, is, this is modeled, right, dads? This is modeled in front of your kids. Number three, he was honest. Verse 12, he admitted that he didn't know what to do. He was honest, but our eyes are on you. What a powerful, powerful statement. Would you lose confidence in somebody who said that they do not know what to do? 
actually, the more I read Jehoshaphat and his story, the more confidence I gain in what he did. I don't lose any confidence. If, if a leader says, I, I don't know what to do, but the first thing we're going to do is get on our knees, we're going to seek God's face, I'm following that leader. I'm following that leader. Verse 13, someone's always watching. And in verse 13, we see the little ones, all Judah, stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. What a teaching opportunity. It was right in front of Jehoshaphat, right in front of all of the parents there in Judah. All the kids were watching. What is going to happen next? We are surrounded. We're in an impossible situation. What is going to happen next? Number four, he was honorable. Verse 18 says, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of the Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. He modeled what it, what it meant to be humble. And they followed him. They followed him. That's how I know he was a good leader, that he had followers. The people under his leadership, if you notice in verse 19, the people under his leadership praised the Lord even before the victory happened. Verse 19, this is still prior to the victory. And the Levites, of the children of Kohathites, and the children of Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a loud voice on high. What were they praising him for? He hadn't delivered them yet, right? That says a lot about his leadership. They were praising the Lord before the victory even happened. Okay, number five. Now we're into the new material. He was hopeful. Number five, he was hopeful, and that's going to be in verse 20. If you have your Bibles open to Second Chronicles, let's start in Second Chronicles 20. Let's go down to verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Or, in, in other words, so shall you be successful. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Sometimes people need to be reminded of this, don't they? Sometimes your family needs a leader that is going to put his hope in the Lord. And what is Jehoshaphat saying here? What's the key What's the key to success? Putting our hope in the Lord. So I picture a coach uh, speaking to his team, maybe right before uh, an impossible game, uh, a really tough game. We had one of these yesterday. We went to a, a tournament uh, down in St. Francis, Minnesota with our boys' basketball team. Nine o'clock in the morning. Who plays basketball at nine o'clock in the morning? It was just brutal. And, of course, the kids are up all night swimming in the pool and dunking each other. So they were just rip-roaring, ready to go in the morning. This was the number one team in our conference. And as a coach, I needed to be hopeful. I need to exude confidence. And sometimes our families need that. A lot of times our families need that. There's just drama. There's, there's things that weigh us down and despair. And we, as dads, need to exude confidence. In who? In us? No, confidence in the Lord. And that's what he was saying to the, the inhabitants of Judah here prior to the battle. Believe, believe that the Lord is going to deliver us. And he gave them 
He gave them confidence. They did win. <laughs> and they needed to see that they needed to see that modeled prior to the victory. Prior to the victory, his people needed to see it modeled. In 1997, the Journal of American Heart Association reported on some pretty remarkable research. The study found that people who had high levels of despair had a 20% greater occurrence of the narrowing of the arteries. There's a medical term for that. I couldn't pronounce it, so I just called it the narrowing of the arteries. 20% greater occurrence than optimistic people. This is the same magnitude of increased risk that one sees in comparing a, a pack-a-day smoker to a non-smoker. In other words, despair can be as bad for your health as smoking a pack a day. Despair is hard on your physical health. Despair is also hard on your spiritual health. And dads, are we, are we hope dealers? Hope dealers. Is that what we do for our families? And they need it. Our families need us to be hope dealers. So number five, he was hopeful. Number six, he was flexible. Now for those who are OCD and you were thinking that was going to be an H, I, am, I apologize. I couldn't think of an H. I battled and battled. I, I, in fact, I, I'll just tell you up front, Six through eight, none of them are going to be H's. I, I could only stay with the H theme for so long before I ran out of words. I am really sorry, but number six is flexible. No more H's. Life always has a plot twist, doesn't it? Life throws you curveballs. And dads, how do we respond to the curveballs? Do we roll with it? Are we submissive to God? Are we obedient even though we may not understand it? Even though God's plan sometimes seems hilarious, are we still obedient? Let's go to verse 21. Let's pick up the story. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. So he consulted with his people. I'm assuming those were military strategists, right? The, the, the people that he's consulting with. Like, how are we going to go into this battle? And, and here's the plan that he came up with. And can you, can you picture him in front of the people of Judah saying, we, we have just concluded our meeting. All the top brass in the military got together and we talk strategy, and here's our plan. Are, are you ready? We're going to send the choir in first. That's the plan. The choir first. Now, would you lose confidence in your leader if that's, what, if that's the military strategy that they came up with? Why would God have them do that? And we have enough Trouble getting people to sing in the choir anyway, right? Why, why send them into battle first? That's going to hurt our attendance in the choir. That's hilarious that, Lord, you can't be serious. That plan is not going to work. That doesn't make any sense. Do you only obey when it makes sense? Dads, do you only obey when it makes sense? No, a lot of times we have to obey even though it doesn't make sense. And, then, and of course, in this case, 
sending the choir in first, that doesn't make sense. Just to be sure, though, I did some reading on a syllabus that I found from the U.S. Naval War College. Here's the name of the class. Joint Professional Military Education Phase 1 Intermediate Level Course. What an interesting course. I got a hold of the syllabus online, and the title of this chapter was Strategy in War. And I found in there on page 167, send the choir in first. That's what it said. No, it didn't. That, that doesn't, that's not any kind of strategy. No war strategy course would say, army in the back, let's send the choir in first. But why would God do that? Why would God do that? Because he, he wants to show himself mighty. He wants to see if Jehoshaphat is going to obey. And what would happen if they didn't send the choir in first? What would happen if Jehoshaphat said, no, I know better than this. I'm going to send the army in first. Chances are they would be destroyed. It's a test. It's a test to see if the leadership was going to obey. And of course he did. So number five, he was hopeful. Number six, he was flexible. What's the opposite of flexible? Rigid, right? Rigid. Rigid. Dad, sometimes we have to roll with it. Sometimes we have to be flexible. Sometimes the plans that we came up with are not God's plans, and we have to adjust. Does he have to adjust? No. We adjust to him. All right, number seven, he was grateful. He was grateful. Boy, if you can come up with an H word for flexible and grateful, I'd love to hear it because I, I was uh, in the thesaurus all week and I couldn't come up with one. Uh, but maybe some of you uh, wordsmiths would be able to do that. So the next time I give this message, we can have H's all the way down through. But let's, let's, go, let's uh, read the background here now. Um, verses 22 through 26. Let's see what happens. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. So when the choir began to sing, what, what happened? The, the, the people started fighting each other. They started fighting each other. How bad did that sound? How bad was the choir? It's a, people wanted to kill each other after listening to that choir. Verse 24, or 23, For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy one another. They didn't even have to fight. The, the people of Judah didn't even have to fight. And you remember back earlier in the chapter where it said, uh, the, this uh, Jehaziel said, this battle is not yours. This battle is not yours. This is the Lord's. All you have to do is obey. Stand firm. Stand fast and obey. And verse 24, And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches and with dead bodies and precious jewels they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And there were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. 
So what, what did they pray for? They prayed for deliverance. They, they prayed for deliverance. Did God answer that prayer? He did. Did he go above and beyond that? He did. Because they obeyed, it took them three days, three solid days of hauling away the spoils. Have you ever had God bless you above and beyond what you asked? Doesn't that remind you of Ephesians 3.20? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. They asked for deliverance. They asked for safety. They did things right in the right order. They prioritized seeking his face first. And God blessed them way above, way above what they even asked for. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, dads, if that happens. So 26, and on the fourth day, here comes the grateful part. On the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the same place was called the valley of Baraka unto this day. And when they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat was in, in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord made them to rejoice over their enemies. He stopped and he gave thanks. He stopped and blessed the Lord after the victory, after the dust had settled. Do you ever forget? Do you ever have a temporary condition of amnesia after the Lord blesses you? Yeah, and I have fallen. I have fallen into that trap as well. But he stopped and he said, Thank you, Lord, for delivering us. And notice he didn't do that privately. I love how verse 27 says, And they returned every man of Judah, and Jehoshaphat was where? He was in the front. He was the one leading this thanksgiving, this time of blessing the Lord, this time of recognizing where these blessings came from. Boy, dads, I hope we're doing that. I hope we're doing Shame on us if we are after, after God delivers, God answers our prayer, maybe not in the fashion that we would want them, but, but God intervenes and answers our prayer. Are we stopping and leading our family? Notice I said leading. Leading our family in a time of praise and recognizing, recognizing where that success came from. I like that strategy in 26 and 27. He didn't tell them to do it. He led the way. Amen, dads? He led the way in giving giving thanks? Are we modeling gratefulness? So number five, he was hopeful. Number six, he was flexible. Number seven, Jehoshaphat was grateful. And number eight, he was at peace. He was at peace. 28, and they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps, and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries. They had heard and fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. That might be the best verse in the whole chapter. Let me read it again. So the realm 
of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. Dads, are you struggling with inner turmoil? Are people in your household struggling with inner turmoil? Are your kids, your wife, follow his example in finding peace? He was afraid, but he sought the Lord. He was powerless, but he relied on God. He was honest about the situation. He was humble. He publicly fasted and prayed. He believed God would hear him. He obeyed, get this, even though it didn't make sense. He obeyed even though it didn't make sense. And the end result of all of that, what was the end result? Peace. Not just for him. That's the cool part. Not just for him. For his whole realm. I like that word. What is realm? But I looked it up in the dictionary. Realm, his realm, is his entire area of responsibility. His entire area of rule. God's word says, he gave him rest roundabout to the entire realm of Jehoshaphat. You may not think that that's a big deal, but let me tell you, if your life is in turmoil this week, you think it's a big deal. Peace is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm talking about inner peace. And those of us who maybe at First Baptist Church enjoy, and we do enjoy peace here, don't we? We enjoy peace. We enjoy unity. I wonder how much of that is a direct result of our pastor following God's will. How much of that is a direct result, a direct blessing, because we have a pastor who's in God's word daily and leading us like Jehoshaphat leads us. Is our peace because of him? Well, this, this, this passage would say that that's a very real possibility. The people of Judah experienced peace as a result of Jehoshaphat's leadership. How many people was that? I, I looked up. I tried to see how many people were under his leadership. I could only find how many were in his army. It was over 1.1 million just in his army. Just, just in the armed forces. So who knew how many, how many people he had under his total rule? Millions. Millions of people. And so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. Your realm might be much smaller than that. It probably is. But it's no less important for them to experience peace. Amen? Just because you are only in charge of three or four or five, or how many of in your family, and not 1.1 million, peace is still essential. And what is the path to peace? I think Second Chronicles 20 draws a beautiful path right to peace. All of those things that we talked about, being grateful, being humble, seeking God, fasting and praying, admitting that we're afraid, admitting that we don't know what to do, but we're going to seek his will. All of that was the precursor to peace. Folks, there's no shortcuts, though. There's no shortcuts to peace. There's no shortcuts to verse 30. I want to skip right to verse 30. I want to skip all of that stuff prior to that. There's no easy button he experienced peace because he did what was right. You want your realm to be at peace? What is your realm? 
how many people are in, in, under your authority? And, and is that important to you that your realm is at peace? If it is, I would spend some time this week in verses 1 through 20. 1 through 30. Just going over again, over again, meditating. Let it marinate. Let it change the way that you're thinking as a dad. Let it change the way that you're leading as a dad. Let it convict you. And if you want peace in your family, here is a map to peace. And there are no shortcuts. You know, I read an article this week, and I, I would highly recommend this article. If you want the, the link to it, please shoot me an email this week, and I will, I will copy you on this link. Um, it's an article on the 50th anniversary of Johnny Erickson Tata's accident. And most of you know her, or know of her, know her testimony. She was uh, rendered a paraplegic um, 50 years ago this past July uh, with a dive, I believe it was diving or swimming, right? A diving, diving accident where she hit her head on the, the bottom of the pool or the side of the pool and was rendered uh, paraplegic. Has no use of her arms, no use of her legs. And uh, this article will move you to tears. She said she would not trade her closeness to God for the use of her arms and legs. That's what she's learned after 50 years. I wouldn't trade the use of my arms and legs for the closeness that I now enjoy with my Creator. And the quote that stood out the most, and this convicted me as a dad, when the devil insists God's people only serve him when life is easy, I have the high honor of proving him wrong. When the devil insists God's people only serve him when life is easy, I have the high honor of proving him wrong. Has anyone lived a harder life than Johnny Erickson Tata? Probably not. And she goes on to say, To be on the battlefield when the mightiest forces in the universe converge in warfare, by God's grace, I'm all in. That's what she said. A paraplegic in a wheelchair when it comes to the battlefield where the mightiest forces, God's forces, Satan's forces, converge, I'm all in. Man, dads, we would, we would be well to respond like this frail woman in a wheelchair. Because when it comes to the forces, the mightiest forces in the universe, God's forces, Satan's forces, where do they converge? In your family. They converge in your family. Wake up, America. This is what's happening under our noses, under our watch. That's where they converge, to go for the hearts of your kids and my kids. And we would be well to go all in. Not in our power, not in our strength, but in his. Can you say that? Can I say that as a dad? And when I, I, I have read that, I, I bet no less than 10, 12 times over this week, and every time I read it, I'm convicted. Every time I read that article, I'm convicted. To see what that lady did in a lifetime without the use of her arms and legs, just in the power of God, is just an amazing thing. And I want to do that. I want to do that for my family. I want to do that for my wife, my kids. Not sit on the sidelines. Not wonder what happened when it's all over. Not wonder what, what could I have done differently, but to jump in the game. And when those forces come together in that battlefield, are you there? 
Are you willing to fight? And again, I, I wish I had better news, but there is no easy button. There is no way to skip the hard work. Can I also encourage you with this? The battle is not yours. The battle is not yours. The battle is God's. And just like Jehoshaphat needed to learn to give that to God, so do we. As much as we want to manipulate and control the outcome of our family, we cannot. The battle is not yours. The battle is his. But are you giving that authority to him? Boy, dads, I, I don't know about you, but I, I've been convicted by this. I, I hope you have as well. I hope your study of Second Chronicles does not stop here. I hope it is something that you consider um, weekly, if not daily, at least for the next couple of weeks. There's a lot more truth to pull out of there. It's a very, very rich passage. And let God's word convict you to make changes in your own heart. Let's pray. Father, some of this has not been easy to hear. Some of it's been very convicting. There might be some, uh, along with uh, the person behind the pulpit, that have regret uh, about things that we missed. And Lord, your grace is sufficient. Even in the midst of our failures as dads, your grace is sufficient. We thank you for that. These principles, these eight principles, these timeless principles that we pulled out of Second Chronicles, would you keep them ever before us? Would you convict us on the ones that we need to make into habit on a daily and weekly basis, just like Jehoshaphat did? Help us to be humble. Help us to be hopeful, to cast hope and vision to our families that God can deliver us. Lord, help us to be fasting and praying as dads, uh, to be flexible, uh, to, to obey, even when it doesn't make sense, even when there's a plot twist, even when there's things that don't, don't add up, humanly speaking, Lord, help us to obey. And my prayer, my challenge, is that you would protect the families at First Baptist Church. Put a hedge of protection around us, Lord. Raise up leaders that want to stand on the wall and fight for their families. We ask this in your name. Amen.